Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited about today's episode. Today's guest has got more than eight years in IT with great leadership skills. He's obsessed about adding value to a company and is currently the program manager of change management at Amazon. Please welcome Ashish Nanjia. Hello. Hey, Justin. Thank you for having me. Really good to have you here today. And like we always do, I want to start off asking the big question, what is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless frontline workforce today? No, that's a great question uh, to kick off the podcast. Uh, the biggest challenge which I see uh, facing the deskless workforce uh, right now is making them feel more valued and wanted. And what I mean specifically by that is uh, where the companies are heading with the remote work, that is mostly done for people who have desk jobs or who are with technology teams or who are having uh, any other profile within the company, whether it's supply chain, inventory, but those are desk jobs which are being moved to remote. Uh, what has not been taken into consideration is the thought process and uh, the feelings that somebody who's at the front end who doesn't have that flexibility goes through. And I think as a leader and as bigger companies, I think those thought processes are now, now being thought of at the front end. And some of the changes are coming through. If you see like offering education or, you know, for, uh, funding college tuition and so on. So the biggest challenge is how do you make them feel more valued? And so that the, it's a level playing field for everybody in the organization. Man, right out of the gate, you've already hit a nerve for me. Uh, this is one of the topics I'm most passionate about lately. Um, in that I just think there's so much talk about Zoom fatigue and remote work and trying to find some balance with hybrid work environments and all these other things. And, and there are legitimate reasons for that debate. But I think exactly as you said, what they leave out from that conversation is the roughly 80% of the global workforce for whom that doesn't apply, right? And um, man, it just drives me crazy. And I, I just worry that we're spending so much time worrying about how, uh, you know, traditional office workers are going to navigate, you know, this new blended environment or whatever those scenarios are going to be. And anytime we're spending on that, we're not spending thinking about what's the impact to the men and women on the front line. And so it's, it's, I agree with you completely. And I'm really comforted to hear you talk about that. I, I do think you bring up some really good points and it does seem to be shifting a little bit now. Um, I think the hiring challenge has made everyone more aware of saying, hey, we, we can't treat them like they're the redheaded step, stepchildren anymore, right? We've, we've got to bring this front and center now and make it a serious part of our strategy. Exactly right. I think uh, companies are thinking and uh, recognizing the fact that uh, they, will, they will not have people to work on the front line if they continue to you know, follow the same policies and procedures. And even by bumping you know, pay by 5%, 10% is just not enough. There has to be a holistic approach, uh, whether 
with what technology they use or with the mindset it's it needs to be a mindset shift at the leadership end and those 80% of the work- workforces as you said you know they have to be in the center stage for any policy or any thought of cultural changes that the companies need to make yeah fantastic way to start this conversation so thank you for that let's let's get uh, to know you a little bit more i know the audience really wants to get to know our guests and and understand you know your background so tell us a little bit about um, you know, going back maybe all the way to, uh, you know, university and, and where you ended up going to school and then how you kind of uh, advanced through your career up until now. So I start, I did my bachelor's uh, in India uh, and finished it off in 2011. And after that, I started for uh, working for a company known as eBay. So an e-commerce giant. Uh, but I was working there as a contractor through a very big technology company known as HCL Technologies. Um, they, they are almost $11 billion enterprise now, uh, a very huge enterprise. And I was mostly involved with their business analysis, systems analysis, implementing uh, new technologies to integrate uh, eBay's ERP system, whether it's merchandise management system or warehouse management system. So uh, typically uh, all the work that business analysts do, you know, writing specs, documents, and from there on, I moved on to Sports Authority uh, from 2012 to 2016. I was there for almost four years, again, through HCL. And that was the first time I traveled to the US for the client. And But Sports Authority got bankrupt in 2016. Yep. So I decided to go back to school and finish my master's in something which I'm extremely passionate about, uh, which is management information system, which is aligning technology with business. So how does technology help in channelizing businesses, whether it's through through apps or through new functionalities or new features or new products? So I studied there for uh, nine months. I finished a two-year program in two semesters and then quickly get That's up. Impressive. Uh, thank you. I, I started in a startup then just to understand the culture uh, known as Vantage Solutions in Chicago. Uh, from there, shifted gears, moved on to XPO Logistics, worked there uh, into program management as well as uh, some business analysis and did some very cool stuff there uh, in implementing some robotic stuff. And I'm sure we are going to talk in detail about that part. And from there, I got another opportunity to lead a team and do more technical stuff at Ashley Furniture Industries. And there I was handling, uh, again, their technology part, but manufacturing systems. So integrating their order management, manufacturing systems with uh, warehouse management. So those transfers, those uh, return to vendors, orders, and those manufacturing things uh, were pretty cool at Ashley. And I definitely want to come back to that part. uh, So I know we'll spend some time on that piece and your experience around that. But I I definitely want our audience to know about your current role and and where you're at Sure. Sure. So uh, it's been a year and a month now. I've been at Amazon. I finished my one-year mark in September, and I'm working here as a program management a program manager in change management space. So uh, anything related to changes that happen in um, in launches or facilities at Amazon, they go through uh, our team, my team, and my team's name is configuration and change management team, and I'm a part of the change management space there. So I help. I help Amazon plan ahead about the changes that that need to happen in next year or probably you know three years in advance. 
Fantastic. So Amazon is one of, uh, you know, many favorite companies, but of the two that probably get the most of my discretionary income, it's Apple and Amazon. So um, thrilled to hear that, that you work there and just some of the stories that you were sharing with me, uh, you know, when we were preparing for today's uh, conversation, just about the sheer scale of change inside an organization like Amazon, it's just really mind boggling, right? You, you were sharing stories just about, um, you know, just e even just changing out workstations and, you know, all the consideration that has to go into those workstations. Can you maybe share another story just to help get the scale and explain to the audience exactly. that when you're looking at those changes, what you have to consider? No, that's a good point. Um, so for example, even if you're changing a tape, at a, at, a, uh, at a fulfillment center or a warehouse facility. So those, cha uh, those tape changes have to be approved by safety, whether they will come in walking way of a frontline worker or whether they would you know, hinder any operational work. So there has to be a rigorous process that need to be followed. And then the scale of the chain needs to be understood. So if we are doing it for one facility and it is great, then why don't we do it for all the facilities that we have? And how do we inculcate that in future launches then, if that is the right change for the company? So those things have to be thought out and uh, cost benefit analysis plus, plus the if it's a safety concern, then it has to be addressed. And we have to make sure that it is across the board we are doing it and following a proper cadence for it so that the frontline workers uh, ability to make their incentives doesn't get diminished by you know any change but safety is the priority for amazon for its employees it's good to hear um and and that's a great example of just the, the impact so I, I know in in the case um you know of amazon and some of the changes that you might oversee they don't necessarily involve technology but they still do speak to just the overall change saturation, how much change is happening inside the organization. And again, at, at Amazon, just the, the scale at which that change has to happen across all of your facilities. It's, it's really a pretty amazing thing to think through. Yes, it is. So let, let's go back to, you know, what we talked about in the beginning, uh, frontline workers, um, them feeling more valued. And, and you hit on something, and this is a question I really like to explore with a lot of our guests. Um, and I think you've already kind of answered it to some extent, uh, but it, what do you think has changed for frontline workers throughout the pandemic? Or do you think anything has changed? I know it's changed for office workers. We talked about that remote work and Zoom fatigue and all those other things, but do you think things have changed much during the pandemic for what we would characterize as frontline workers? I think with pandemic, things have changed for everyone and frontline workers are we cannot say things have not changed for them. It has changed for them. Um, it's, it's a mental challenge as well now, added to the physical work that they have to do being on the front line because uh, they don't have the comfort or the flexibility of, you know, okay, I'm going to log in, uh, logged in from home today or I'm going to log in from uh, two to five instead of, you know, nine to 12. So those things uh, plus think about the families that they, they have to take care of and their kids who are not going to school or who were not going to school because of the lockdowns and the shutdowns. So a lot of things have changed. Uh, and I'm hoping we are on the other side of the bridge now and we're, we are just crossing it. And even if we will have some hiccups, those will be small. Uh, but yeah, for frontline workers, I think it's a, it's a mindset change now or 
or or a more pressure now because of the pandemic you know what they had to go through and they still have to report to work so probably things would be more tough you know i ashish you've done a great job of explaining that in a way that makes me think i need to rethink how i ask the question because what we're kind of saying on one hand is that nothing has changed they still had to go work at a facility they still have to go drive a truck to do a delivery right all those things are kind of the same and that's part of what i'm i'm pointing out but you raise a really good point that they are doing that inside a completely different world than they were doing it before, right? So their job may be the same. They may be doing the same things inside a distribution center, fulfillment center, or you know, riding a, a truck route, um, but they're doing it in an entirely different context than they were before. And and one of the things that you just said, which I'm incredibly sensitive to, is that you know these men and women that are still having to go out and do their jobs away from their home still have, you know, kids doing remote school from home and, and all the other challenges. So they've been faced with, you know, quite an additional burden and they still have to get, you know, their same job done as they did before. And, and that's the part that I'm really sympathetic to. And, and I wonder how we, as, you know, many of the folks that work in the corporate offices, what we can be doing to ensure that they can still be successful throughout all of this change. And, you know, we, we have a heavy emphasis on, on digital transformations in, in my business, but I think that changes, you know, it, it, you've helped to educate me to say that it's not just about digital change. It's about all of the change throughout the business. No, that's a great point. And I think some of the, some of the things that you're alluding to or referring to uh, have been incorporated uh, and were incorporated in my previous company even before the pandemic hit at Ashley Furnitures, uh, where we saw some of the operations manager having those dashboards and technology on their fingertips so that they don't have to go into each assembly line to check same monotonous tasks that they were doing every hour uh, just to see the throughput or you know the volume of production or the quality of furniture produced. Uh, there were some technology pieces fit in there or some cameras and sensors, which could tell them the exact weight of the furniture. And if, because we need to be consistent with the quality of furniture that we are producing at Ashley, right? So if if a furniture needs to weigh 900 and, or 240 pounds, it cannot weigh 370 pounds, right? Like there has to be some consistency. And minor, minor, things would happen if you are manually producing furniture. But at Ashley, we saw a lot of camera, sensor, and robotics being introduced in order to make life easier for the frontline workers so that they don't have to uh, do the same monotonous task again and again. And it can be a help to increase their productivity and in turn increase their pay because a lot of them were incentivized. So, so this is a great point, right? This speaks right to the heart of what this show should be all about. So we're, we're talking about transformation and you're talking about some of the motivations for implementing that technology. All of them are actually very favorable for the frontline workers that would be impacted. However, I'm not saying this is true at Ashley, but in many organizations, the frontline workers feel, still feel like they are almost victims of some of this technology change. So share with us how you went about, how the organization went about, explaining that the purpose of this technology, this innovation that we were bringing is actually here to make things easier for you to ensure that you can be successful to help that you can make your incentive bonuses and stuff like that. Tell us about that change process. That's a great question. And I will divide this uh, part of the answer into two parts. The first one is explaining the, the frontline workers 
and creating a roadmap for them to finally move into high roles and responsibilities. So if a frontline worker starts thinking about higher roles and responsibilities instead of you know losing their job or not feeling more secure, I think it is all about how leadership communicates those changes and how they make them feel welcomed and valued for those changes. Because the biggest customer of any digital transformation are the frontline workers because they have to not only collaborate with the technology, but also integrate. Their workpiece is now going to be integrated as well. So they have to not only like it, but also understand the bigger vision or bigger piece or how it is going to add up and make them have more time into maybe having a learning session every day or spending that time in learning a new skill or spending that time in learning about leadership and and partnering with your teammates, how you can be a peer leader. So those kind of thought processes have to be incorporated into frontline workforce. And I think Ashley did a great job because a lot of frontline workers were made to understand their growth map and their uh, growth path. So once they understood it, they understood how this technology will help them go reach there faster by explaining to them how their productivity will increase, number one, and number two, how this will free up their time, which they were using for the same monotonous task to peer lead their assembly line workers or their cross-functional partner teams. That's such an amazing story because so many times we hear that the pushback for implementing new technology is the efficiency exactly as you just described, but without proper communication around that, what what many of the frontline workers believe is that this efficiency is going to eliminate my job or it's going to eliminate you know my buddy's job down the hall, right? And um, that actually creates a lot of fear and uncertainty around, hey, are we sure we really want to embrace this technology if it's going to create a threat you know, to us? And, and the story that you just shared was a fantastic example of how you can really turn that around to being actually a, a positive for them and to answer the question, what's in it for them, right? So, okay, so what? So you're more efficient, but what's in it for you? as an individual, and you've done a great job of answering that question. So how did you, can, can you share any best practices with us about how you went about that, that communication, um, you know, and, and how well it was received by those workers? And did you experience any challenges with that? I know that was a lot of question in there, but tell no, us a little a, bit more about how that, that happened. That's a great question. I think it's about breaking down a bigger piece of meat into smaller pieces. And how we did it is, uh, for example, when we implemented uh, robotics or robotic arms at Ashley, which were used for uh, putting down nails into a piece of furniture and then passing it on to another robotic arm. So how we communicated that is by implementing it on one assembly line first and then proving with results and metrics how your peers who have embraced this technology are moving ahead of the ladder and having a focus group of, of folks who were mostly uh, trying to help understand the rest of the team, the value. So breaking down the process to operations manager first so that he understands how does it add value for my operation and then making it drilled down further to one assembly line. So once you have done it on one assembly line, you have metrics, you have data points, then you, how do you, increase it by bringing in more robotic arms rather than 
completely uh, ordering 75 robotic arms which you don't know where you'll place and then a you're going to spend a lot of money in the integration and within the one robotic arm it's also good for technology teams to have lessons learned to ensure that the integration is clean neat and systemically that information is flowing throughout the uh, life cycle of you know whether you are using a erp or multiple systems that information is going on from one system to another system labels are being created properly and the flow of material can be tracked within our ecosystem so it is a win win situation not only for uh, frontline workers but also for technology teams so breaking down the bigger piece into smaller pieces and then having your agents of change uh, be kind of your testimonial you know with 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 success at once so and these are big initiative these are not like day changes right uh, installing a robotic arm might sound simple but once they get installed that's where the real you know uh, game begins for for the manufacturing facilities and even even at uh, xpo logistics which was my prior company to ashley we had uh, brought in uh, third generation robots there who were who were integrated with how people were picking packing and shipping at uh, logistic facilities so i think the thought process or the framework remains the same go small go slow in the beginning have those metrics have those results let be let customer or your people who are your frontline workers provide feedback and take it in a positive manner don't think they just don't want to do it so they're giving you that feedback go deeper than just the surface man you've just said a lot of good stuff that i want to peel apart there a little bit the first is that you you jogged the memory for me that um i've been through a couple of projects where the the customer teams did start fairly small and it was so rewarding to see the shift in the beginning the first location that might be the pilot location we're saying things like why do we have to be the first ones to do this right why are you making us do this and so that was kind of a negative response to being the first ones but the real satisfaction for those of us on the technology side is when you see now the other solution, the the other locations or the other groups say, when do we get to use that technology, right? Because they see the success that's happening in that pilot group. They now actually become envious of that. They fear it less because they're seeing that somebody else is, is getting to experiment and improve out the concept. And so now everybody else wants it. And that's, that's a really powerful place for, for those of us in the technology and, and program management side to be where... That's really what we want. We want to make things better for all of the, the stakeholders. But a lot of times when we start a project, there's a there's a force field around everybody, right? And so to, to find those methods to communicate with them and to start off small, I love that example of, of starting off small so that we can get that support um, and then see it be pulled into those other groups. I think that's fantastic. Now, you didn't say this word or phrase, but it sounds like you did some type of after action review. Like, it sounds like after you did the pilot, you did some kind of assessment. Am I, did I hear that right? Yes. Tell, so tell, that's, tell us a little bit more about that. That's like retrospective. So yep. what in, in agile world or in software world, what, what were the lessons learned? Basically, you know, what were the success stories? What worked? What did not work? So in one of the examples, when we had installed the machine, which, which had to put in the nails, it was not putting on the number label on, on those pieces. So the system did not know uh, 
exactly where we are in the process of manufacturing a specific sofa because the nail machine had had forgot to put in the labels which is a bit which was a big mess but once we fix it the counters were still not working if i need to go more technical so those kind of things were more of you know lessons learned or retrospectives at a high level at a more granular level we even calculated efficiency per minute and how fast were we actually getting in terms of uh, uh, producing furniture so some of the numbers that we we saw that we were able to manufacture with 75% more efficiency and 70% more accuracy uh, wow. for for uh, a specific piece of sofa so we had to order robotic arms specific to what kind of you know uh, piece we were manufacturing for right so there were specific use cases which were studied which were learned and the the results were really great but retrospective was a part of the complete process once you install something you learn you're also reminding me of something that I've heard from a lot of the guests on on the show, which is that if there are glitches in the technology, it makes end user adoption that much more difficult, right? And it, that makes sense. Any of us would get frustrated. So, you know, there's even if we've done it right, there's been a lot of communication about the change. These are the ways that it's going to impact your business and then, you know, or your day in your life. And then you, you take on this new technology or this enhancement to the technology and something doesn't work right. That's pretty frustrating for the end users and for the project team, obviously. But for the end users that we're trying to persuade to say, hey, this is actually going to make things better. It doesn't always work as well out of the gate as we hope it will, does it? Yeah, that is so true. I think the, the major selection part of end users here, the kind of people whom we chose were top performers. So what happened is they were pretty secure of their space at Ashley or at XPO. So what that does is if you're feeling secure about where you are in the company and, and you, you have a vision for yourself where you see yourself in a couple of years or a year as a leader, you, it's not about if, it's about when you start embracing these technologies. So they were pretty patient with us uh, as technology teams, and they were ready to spend that time in the beginning because they knew the fruits uh, would be amazing at the end. So it's about having the right focus groups, as I said earlier, and having them, you know, unpack these problems uh, with you rather than just being, okay, this is not working. So it, they were very collaborative and in providing that feedback and it all boils down to explaining them the why of the process really well rather than the how. So we didn't discuss about the results that we'll be getting, but we were, we were trying to explain the thought process because it is, we are not going to get technology in a box yet. We all know that, but we will get there, you know, uh, at least one day, whether it's 2040, 45, 50. So there has to be some some steps and people have to start reskilling, getting reskilled to learn, you know, uh, other skills which are very important uh, in today's day and age and which will be more relevant in the futures to come. Well, and, and I think it, it all kind of goes back to some things that you said at the top of the conversation, which is making them feel more valued, right? Exactly. And and then you talk a lot from a change management perspective about communication. And one of the best ways that we can make people feel more valued is communicating, right? So we can be uh, more articulate, more thoughtful about how we're communicating with them. 
And, and I love that there's, there should be, I love your point that there should be an emphasis on why we're making these changes. What's the impact going to be to you before we start talking about the robotic arms and, and the other things, why are we making these changes and how is that going to contribute to your, you know, development as, as an employee in this organization. Right. And I think, um, if I've learned one thing throughout all these change management conversations that we've been having on the podcast, it, it's made me realize that as I'm making a big generalization here, but I think across all the technology implementations that I've seen, I think we're just not communicating well enough. We're not communicating frequently, uh, early enough in the process. And I think we could solve a lot of problems and, and make things a lot better for everyone if we just got out ahead of it. And, and frankly, that's true of probably any relationship that we have that you might have with an employee, with a team member, with a coworker, whatever the case may be, or with a spouse, you know, being early and often about communication is always going to make things better. Completely agreed. I think yeah. I'm completely aligned. It's about, I think with technology teams and other challenges, we tend to overestimate on you know how fast we can deliver uh, without taking into account a lot of challenges which can happen on the ground. So yeah. if there is a big order to fulfill, right? And we have to stop the stall the project for three days, it will happen. It's not gonna wait, okay, we are gonna get the robotic arm and it's gonna fast track. If there is an order in hand to fulfill to a, to a big client or customer, whether it's Ashley, XPO or any other company that I've worked for, we will go ahead and finish the order first before you know we continue with the testing that will take a back burner so i think technology teams have to be better as you said you know in communicating early and keeping it engaged it's it's a combined effort yeah. it's like making it making a dream team you know creating those uh, group chats or you know those zoom groups uh, chime groups or any platform you use and making people hear hear them out what customers really are feeling what they're wanting i think giving them a platform is extremely important uh, i meant end users like frontline yeah. workers operations managers and everything. sure yeah no i i think that's really good you, you talked about being over optimistic that the technology teams tend to be over optimistic about the timelines and i think you're spot on there's other i mean every project you see some things come up that were unexpected no matter how much we plan for risk and, and everything else and we have to consider the impact that that has on our internal customers, right? Those end users, um, they lose faith in us. So here we are telling them if we're doing a good job, we're communicating, just like we said before about all these changes that are going to happen. And then we have, we hit some, you know, roadblocks and, and that reduces their confidence about the success of this. You know, I had a great experience actually uh, recently, and, and you just described this kind of worker that was very comfortable in his role. So we were implementing and, you know, there's a lot of speculation that the older guys uh, on the floor are going to be more reluctant to embrace technology and, and the young men and women are going to be faster to adopt. And we were out on site with a customer one day and I saw the exact opposite. We were rolling out the new technology and there was an older gentleman who was deep into his career and he grabbed the new mobile device and he said, guys, I'm going to tell you how this is all going to work. Yes, there are going to be a bunch of problems that are going to happen, but we're going to get through it together. And, and it was kind of just funny to see that because he had seen, he had been through probably five generations of this technology over the course of his career in this company. He knew that if they said they were going to go live on October 1st, it wasn't really going to happen until December 1st. So he was already prepared for that. It didn't phase him at all. And he was actually coaching 
the younger men and women that were in the office or in this depot to say, hey, here's what you should expect from this experience. And to your point, he was so comfortable in his role that he didn't feel threatened by the technology. It didn't give him any anxiety. And it, it actually freed his mind, I think, to be able to now learn the new technology without having to worry about it. And uh, so in that case, he felt that way just because of all of his experience, but hopefully we can convey those stories to the to other folks that are learning to say, yeah, are there going to be hiccups along the way? Probably so. And I can't tell you what they are, because if they are, you know, I would have avoided them. <laughs> exactly. But, um, but I, I think that's a really interesting point that just really helps to build their confidence and say, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of in this together. Let's let's make the best of it. And we're going to be here to support you the best way that we can. No, so, completely agree. Next thing I want to just kind of ask you about is maybe on the other side. So we've talked about a lot of the examples that you've shared with us today have been super positive examples of really how to do things well. I'm wondering, you know, you don't have to mention any proper names, maybe if we want to, uh, you know, keep those uh, to yourself, but just maybe some circumstances that didn't go quite as well, where the change management and the implementation, you know, didn't go as well as expected, and perhaps any lessons that you learned from that experience. Uh, yeah, that uh, definitely. Uh... You have some good expenses, uh, experiences, but you also have some learning experiences, as I call them, right? Like where you can, you, where you could have done better job. I think as my career has progressed, I've learned one thing is uh, it is extremely important for the IT uh, teams, you know, to now take the ownership. And when they say first October, it shouldn't be first December. We should rather first say first December rather than first October. So a similar kind of incident happened with us when uh, we were launching a point of sale system for one of my clients, uh, Sports Authority. And while, while we were uh, launching that system, I think uh, one of a major challenge which happened is uh, they were giving errors or issues on gift cards and that wasn't tested through. So and that was during a, a season where we expect a lot of gift cards because the company has handed them over. So with that POS system, uh, people on boots on the ground at the store, people are having issues. Now, what do they do? If people come with gift cards, you cannot tell them it's not getting scanned, right? Yeah. It, it has to happen. And customer doesn't care. You, you change SAP or you change any other uh, technology system for them you show me the $15 off coupon, right? And I'm the same. So there was some lesson learned about that the change could have done better. And one of the major factor for that was overcommitment, as I brought it up earlier. So we were trying to meet a tight deadline and we did meet the deadline, but we didn't look for all use cases. And some of the gift cards were working, but we, turn, we did not turn on the counters for few because you have to be very safe and secure when it comes to gift card because there is a lot of, lot of fraud which fraud. happens. Yeah, sure. Exactly. So there were some code changes which were made and the problem lasted just for a couple of days. But but imagine the, the number of orders and people who had to face the consequences, you know, on the ground because every customer is going to went out on store manager or on the person who is scanning. On that retail associate that's standing there exactly. running the front lines. And yeah. it's not their fault. So, so an apology email was sent out and people were told about the problem, how we have fixed it, clear communication company-wide. The problem was solved in a couple of days, but that was a big lesson learned, you know, of why technology team has to take more ownership now because 
they they are no more a separate group now they are an integral part of every company and companies are ready to spend millions and millions of dollars in order to help technology needs to help channelize business simple so they need to come up with a way like think about a store launch if a store launch says we are going to launch on friday you will not see them launching on sunday right so they have such critical deadlines i think that's where uh, with the technology piece whether it's for frontline or even if it's for office within your office there is a change that you are rolling out you have to start working backwards from the launch date and ensure what needs to be done to meet that date and if we are not meeting the date how do we communicate early and more effective yeah no I, you're making a lot of great points in there and i think as as i think about you describing the deadlines and and how we often push to perhaps some unreasonable timelines and we don't have enough padding in you know the project plan um, it does create just a tremendous amount of stress on everybody in the project. The, the thing, and I've told this story on the, the show now probably a half a dozen times that I, I was out riding a route with a guy in a delivery organization and, and he shared with me the emotion that he has about all these technology changes is he says, you don't understand, I'm standing in front of the customer and I feel like I'm on an island because everybody else that's involved in this isn't around when something doesn't work right. And I will never forget the conversation that I had with that guy, Eric, that day, because his description of saying that he feels like an island tells me a lot about what was going on in his mind and his heart. <laughs> the, the isolation that he felt when he was the one having to face the store manager when he's trying to do a delivery and something's not working right in the technology. And in your example, the point of sale system, you know, you're standing there in a store, you got, a, you know, a mom or a dad, and they've got their two kids there, and they're trying to just use the $15 gift card to get out of the store, and something's not working right. And that that retail associates taking the earful about that. And they are the one person in the entire organization that had no ability to affect that circumstance. But they're the ones that are standing on an island by themselves getting an earful. And it's, uh, it's, it's not fair to them. And they, I think they have a much tougher job than we probably give them credit for a lot. Agreed. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, you've got some amazing histories and I really appreciate you sharing a lot of those. Um, I, I'd love to hear how you develop. I've, I've sensed from the pre-call that we, you and I had together to prepare for today and today's conversation, you're very focused on your professional development. How do you learn new things? What events uh, are you hoping to go to in this, uh, you know, as hopefully things are kind of on the, the downturn from COVID? Um, how do you learn professionally? I, you're certainly uh, very uh, academic focused with a master's degree and things like that, but how are you learning to keep up on new skills uh, for your profession? Uh, that's a great question. I think uh, I try to learn more holistically these days, not just about program management, but digital transformation. So I think LinkedIn learning is a great source. It's, it's, it doesn't cost a lot of money as well, but I have few specific leaders for any field that I want to learn about. So for example, if it's teamwork, then I will not only try, like to learn from CEOs, but also from a sports team or a coach of a sports team who is handling uh, 18 to 21 uh, age of players who are young, who are energetic. So if you can maneuver them to work as a team, and give them that mindset, you can definitely, you know, lead a team of your own who have done their bachelors or who are in their early 20s or, you know, in fact, even late third, late 20s. So those kind of different mentors for uh, entrepreneurship or leadership or team management. So 
for motivation, I like to listen to podcasts similar to what you're doing. I have uh, specific people like uh, Patrick Bed David for entrepreneurship and uh, Joe Rogan for for a lot of things. A little bit of everything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and especially physical motivation. So I think studying about nutrition, exercise is also extremely important to keep those uh, right hormones flowing and staying positive. But uh, the resources can be YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube channels, as well as podcasts. Uh, but it's variety. I want to bring in that diversity, equality, and inclusion perspective to anything and everything I think about. And that's why I was so excited about this uh, uh, podcast, because this gives me a new tangent of thought process, though I was already thinking about these things, but now it will be in the center of every project that I take. Uh, how do I serve my frontline workers? Because if they get served, then we will take care of the rest of us, you know, because there are a lot of people thinking about us anyways. That, that is exactly the motivation for the podcast. And, and I'm, I think I'm very similar to you. I really enjoy learning through podcasts and other uh, you know, my wife makes fun of me about the amount of time I spend on YouTube now because I just I have all these channels that I follow and there's such amazing content and I'm just constantly learning new things and I just I can't get enough of it. And so when we thought about, well, how do we raise the awareness of the, the challenges the frontline workers are facing as it relates to this digital transformation that, that always seems to be happening? We said, well, why don't we create our own podcast? And so it's it's great to have you on the show. I hope you'll become a listener. Uh, I know the the rest of our listeners are going to find a lot of value in the conversation that we had today. So I uh, really enjoy you being here and thank you for that. Um, I, I do want to ask you before we go here, um, give me a sense for you've done a lot of work around technology. You've got a deep background. Your entire career has basically been around technology as, a, as an analyst and, and as an implementer and program manager of technology. What do you love most about working with technology? I think uh, that's the part of the role that I'm in, like change. So nothing is constant. Only thing constant in uh, anything and everything that I'll do in my career is going to be change. So embracing new new challenges with technology. So the robotic arm might become obsolete in the next five years or seven years, right? What's the next big thing that we need to overtake? And what is the next big product that we can create to make life easier for our customers? So technology-wise specifically, the rate and pace of change with newer softwares, newer products, newer backend codes, uh, you know, now... The uh, teams are promoting uh, technologies where you don't even have to write code, right? Codeless uh, frameworks. And I'm very big into framework, whether it's technology piece, life, health, nutrition, you yeah. need to develop a framework which works for you and your team. And then, you know, just plug and play, right? Like just have those basics there. And, you know, it's whether it's any technology, it will work. So yeah, those those are the things I'm really passionate about. I find that change and in innovation to be very stimulating as well. I get bored Great. with status quo. And so I, I, much like you, I just appreciate, you know, the, the pace of change with technology and it's, it's really fascinating, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some disadvantages. What would you say maybe are some of the things that uh, you don't like about working with technology? I think it's changing too fast. <laughs> so uh, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like yeah. there has to be some, time given to the frontline workers or our customers to get to adapt to it. And sometimes we are over fixing things. So for example, uh, I had an email yesterday for my uh, apartment's residential portal, they are changing it. 
And when I asked them, hey, what problem did we solve? Uh, because I was able to pay the bill and why why did we change the UI? And, and apparently the team did not have an answer. Maybe it was an IT change, they had a bigger vision. So again, they, either the teams are not communicating well to the frontline workers or you know the customers, or we are just doing it for the sake of doing it so that we don't left, stay left behind. So it's a double-edged sword. It has to be used. Technology is at the end of the day there to channelize business. Unless we are doing anything very disruptive or innovative, which is not the case for 95% of the things that we are changing, right? For 5% of things, it makes absolute sense uh, to go with the pace of change, make that change happen, but not for 100% of things that we are changing. So keeping that balance, understanding the customer problem we are trying to solve and keeping customer at the heart of anything and everything that we do, it has to solve a business problem. So in, in words of some of the leaders is, if it doesn't add value, it does not make sense. So let's not do it. That's that's perfectly said. You know, at, at first blush, it would sound like you're kind of contradicting yourself between your favorite part and your least favorite part. But I understand the point of, of your comment is that it's it's really about finding balance and making sure that the, the innovation makes sense. And as you said, that there is significant business value there to justify the change, uh, or it doesn't make sense doing. And, um, you know, that's tough, is especially in massive organizations like you work for today and that you've worked for previously. Um, there's a lot of different pressures coming from different parts of the organization because everybody's got changes that they want to see implemented and maybe some politics involved. So it's, it's a tough place to be. But I think, um, you know, kind of circling back around to our focus on the frontline workers, I think one of the expressions I've learned from all these change management uh, conversations has been about change saturation. That's an, exp an expression that wasn't on the tip of my tongue a few months back. Um, it is now, and, and it is because I, I put myself in the shoes of those frontline workers and I say, all these different groups around the organization are trying to implement just one small thing. But to the individual that's on the receiving end of that, it's a lot of things that are happening, right? And then the context is you brought up early in the discussion in the context of all the things going on in the world, their kids are working from home, their spouse isn't working, right? All these other things that are going on, there's a lot for them to digest. And, uh, you know, we owe it to them, we owe it to the business to be sensitive to those things and, and make sure that we can help them be successful on, on those transitions. I'm sure with initiative and podcasts like yours, you know, it will it will eventually make a difference. And it's all about doing our part and having that unconscious, you know, uh, we all have that unconscious bias. Yep. So let's be conscious about it and start thinking about our frontline workers with any and every change we make and it will create a difference in the end. Yeah, I agree. Well, man, I really uh, have enjoyed this conversation. I knew that we would. So thank you very much for joining today. Uh, I do need to wrap it up there. Um, I hope the audience has found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful. The website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on our next episode. Thanks for joining today. 